On today's episode, we'll discuss the what, why, and how of this podcast, in addition to laying down some ground rules for language, uh, philosophical jargon, some other technical stuff. So I hope that you'll join us as we work to break down the partisan mindset and reshape our ideas on U.S. politics. This is episode one of season one of Escaping Left, Right, and Center. I'll give you a a brief background on myself. There's not much to say, really. I have a uh, a history degree, quite possibly the most valuable degree there is to have. I'm kidding, of course. I went to a state school up here in the Northeast. Always had a love for history and interest in politics, but never, uh, never claimed to be or could be proven to be an expert in any of these areas. I think, like many folks, this is a an interest, a passion project, and so I would uh, I would call myself uh, maybe questing. Is that the right word? Questing for knowledge, um, as opposed to someone who claims to have answers, no answers, things of that nature. So. Uh, That, of course, begs the question, what knowledge are we questing for specifically? Which brings us to the the what of this podcast. What specifically is this about? You probably guessed from the title that our main goal is to rethink the general uh, philosophical dichotomy of this U.S. partisan mindset. Uh, we hear it constantly, it's always in the news, it seems to be uh, permeating every political conversation, this sort of left versus right. Um, but my goal with this program is to try and think outside the box and apply some of that uh, much maligned critical thinking that they're always talking about instead of just uh, finding which of the systems fits best and and running down that rabbit trail. To that end, we can then move on to, well, why is this podcast happening? There's certainly plenty of political podcasts of people who are smarter than me, more educated than me, can't imagine what I could contribute. But as I thought about it, I've come up with three, uh, three whys why would we be doing this. Uh, and the first one is just to have a formal mechanism for clarifying my own thought process on things. So as I grew up and throughout college, I sort of was more traditionally leaning towards one end of the current dichotomy and still to some degree do, I think to a strong degree. But as time goes on, you start to think a little differently about things and ask, you know, well, what was the sequence of philosophies that led to this conclusion, which now seems to be standard operating procedure? You know, can can we pull the thread and establish, well, why is it that we think this is the way a a certain topic ought to be regarded? um, Or do we just make these grand assumptions? So this will be a tool for me 
as uh, I've done a lot of thinking and some a bit of writing in the past on this topic, and so this will be just a good way for me to, and for hopefully us, to work together to, to come to some sort of concrete, cohesive thought process. The second why is I think about I have three kids and part of my role as their dad is going to be to teach them uh, not necessarily to think exactly what I think but to teach them how to think, how to analyze, how to think critically. And I think if you don't put in the work beforehand to figure out why it is you believe what you believe, it's going to be difficult to then pass that on uh, to the next generation. So in addition to clarifying my own thought process, it'll give me a platform that I can then uh, pass on to others. And then uh, the third why would be (laughs) uh, to stave off the nihilistic hopelessness of the current uh, political scene. I don't know if anybody else feels this way, or if it's just me. But if you spend more than uh, six seconds reading any political news, it's not uh, the cheeriest topic. No matter which side you currently uh, lean towards, shall we say, there's not a ton of good news. And I don't believe that either side is currently in the business of selling good news. I think, uh, as we'll get into a little bit later, bad news breeds uh, loyalty in a lot of ways. Uh, So that, I mean, it sounds funny, but I think uh, hopelessness is something I've struggled with in my political thinking, and I don't think that that's a rare phenomenon. So hopefully we can uh, try and build something that's a little less less soul-crushing, I think, is the plan. So then on to the how. How are we going to structure this podcast? And so my plan is for each of the episodes to focus on a topic that relates to the partisan problem uh, as it exists currently. So some examples of future episodes will be sort of the history of the quote-unquote left-right terminology. Where did we get those words? Why do we use them? Um... They obviously had to start somewhere, so I think that's a fascinating uh, fascinating little history lesson. Another is, uh, why are there only two parties? Does centrism exist? And if it does, does it work? Uh, I think there's some debate to be had there. And then as we establish these ideas, we go back in history and think about, you know, sort of these base layers of this problem, we can then begin to analyze, um, introduce some potential solutions, and sort of think, well, in light of uh, this problem and its history heretofore, what are some ways that we could think differently, or should we uh, completely abandon this altogether? Okay, now on to some some general ground rules. So we are going to lay some sort of structure to our analysis so that we're not just uh, shouting into the void and uh, irritating people on either side. And the first of those ground rules is we're going to uh, we're going to dedicate ourselves to avoiding cliches, tropes, and platitudes. There's so many of these floating around in discourse as a type of conversational shorthand that I think we sometimes... Uh, 
this might be strong, but it's a form of intellectual laziness to just use buzzwords and reductionary language to sort of get to a point faster than needs be. Um, so one idea I had regarding this is the idea of a recipe, right? We all know cooking where you'd say, man, I'd really, I could really go for a pizza. We don't say, I could really go for some flour, salt, water, cheese, pepperoni in an oven for 12, right? So like we use the word pizza as a uh, a summary term to describe the ingredients, but not only ingredients, but the, the sequence of events that leads to pizza, right? So the combination of ingredients. So we're going to try and not speak in recipes in the sense that like, we're not going to say pizza, even though that's shorter and easier. We're going to, we're going to stick to the ingredients and the process. So some examples I can think of is uh, like the term trickle-down economics. That's one that we hear sometimes. But what actually is trickle-down economics? That's like saying pizza. But let's get down into the ingredients. What are the constituent elements of that thought and how can we think about it better than we currently do? Or something like entitlement programs or immigration reform or all these buzzword summations that have a lot packed into them, but we sort of skip over it for the sake of conversational convenience. So we're going to try not to be reductionists. Another specific way is when we refer to groups. We're not going to use uh, broad brush, sort of, you know, right-wingers are XYZ, or all leftists believe in XYZ. That's, that's inaccurate, and I think that is lazy thinking. So we're going to be specific when we use quotations. We're going to cite, you know, the person, the place, the time, all that good stuff. Uh, we want to clearly identify what those people believed, how they came to their conclusions. For instance, there's one person I'm going to spend an entire episode on, French political uh, theorist. I won't give away his name yet. But he came up with this phenomenal theory about two-party systems, and he was a, uh, a card-carrying socialist in France. So even from time to time, socialists have good ideas. I know I'm just breaking the rule I just said about not using reductionist language. Uh, so that about wraps up episode one. We covered sort of the, the how, the what, the why, some ground rules, and hopefully this gives a sense of why we're doing it, what we're doing. Uh, and now all that's left is the actual ideas themselves. So I'm very excited. I hope you are too. And as we wrap up, I would just like to take a minute to thank our sponsors. Uh, however, <laughs> uh, we don't have any yet. So in the meantime, I will leave you uh, with this, this little classic. And thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Hey there, you're invited to get behind the wheel of the lark by Studebaker. What an automobile. See a Studebaker dealer today. Get in the lark and driving away the lark by Studebaker. I'm driving today. Come on, try out the lark by Studebaker today. 
Learn how roomy it is inside, big enough for six passengers, and how much shorter than conventional cars it is outside. Discover how sure and easy it is to handle, to turn, to park. Feel the surprising power it delivers. See the smart styling it offers. See how it's built to save you money on all out-of-pocket operating costs. And learn how little it will cost you to buy. Go to your Studebaker dealer and get the facts on today's Best Buy on Wheels. Come on, your mileage to get behind the wheel of the lot by Studebaker on private today.